Thank you for downloading this week's weekly Curio podcast. Once again, our regular host, Tom Britton, is out building his theater. The Whip Theater in Edison Park is just finishing up its first week, and tickets are available for more. So if you're in the Chicago area, definitely check out thewhiptheater.com and see all the amazing stuff that's going on there. However, instead of Tom, we have somebody else who's rather interesting. We have with us today, Aubrey Henretti. Aubrey, introduce yourself. Hi. How's it going, everybody? I think interesting. You may be overselling it just a little bit. She's so interesting. Uh, Yeah, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, she is actually pretty interesting, and and you will see, because she's about to tell us about creepy bugs and stuff. So Aubrey is not allowed to mention where she works, but I can tell you it's someplace really, really cool, and you are all very jealous of her. Well, I'm jealous of myself when I think about be. it. But, but like I said, I, uh, you know, I can't. It's not a good idea in uh, modern society to talk about any aspect of your job on the internet. It's true. It's true. We will not get into any details. But suffice it to say that if we could go back in time to young high school Aubrey and say, "When you grow up, you're going to have this job," I think yeah, you'd I would be have excited. been. Yes, I would have been yeah. pretty pretty psyched. Well, we'll I, you know what's weird, though, is when I started, uh, I noticed that there are actually three people who work around the building who know people that I know. So I have these weird, like, there's just, which I did not know beforehand. Like, I did, it's not like I knew somebody, and they were like, oh, I know someone who works there. Why don't I send your resume where it should be or something? It was just, once I got there, uh, people sort of opened up and said, oh, I know a person who works in this department, or I know a person who does this. And I thought it was really strange because it just seemed unlikely. Like, it seemed so strange that there would be three people in totally different circles of my life uh, who all knew people that worked at my new workplace. You seem so to be segueing completely into one of the topics you suggested we discussed. I look, I'm, uh, I have practice uh, <laughs> working working uh, topics in a conversation. I was an English major in college. They teach you how to do that. Yeah, she's um, the more articulate of the two of us here, which will become rapidly apparent. I feel so. like, once again, you may be overselling. <laughs> All right, uh, well, now that we have that segue, right. why don't you tell us the basic idea of six degrees of separation? Everyone says it, right? Everyone says, oh, well, they say everybody on the planet Earth is separated by only six other people from everybody else. So theoretically, if there was a person that you wanted to talk to, you could ask one person you know, and they would ask another person and so on. And there would only be six people between you and anybody else. And I thought, well, maybe maybe living in a big city, maybe that's a smaller number. Maybe, you know, if you know, if it's six degrees for everyone in the world, maybe it's a smaller number for just people in your own city. It must be. Yeah. Um, so I decided to look up the idea because I realized I didn't actually know who had said it, which I feel like everyone does, right? You just go, yeah, that's just a thing. And people say it and you don't know where it even came from. But we uh, live in the age of curiosity. We don't have <laughs> to just be status. We, we can actually go look stuff up now. It turns out that you can. My friend, my friend Wikipedia had a lot yeah. to tell me about six degrees of separation. I mean, you can get, you can lose hours of your life on the six degrees of separation page. There's just, I mean, there was a Hungarian writer who wrote a short story about connections in the world in the early 20th century, and there was uh, computer simulations in the early 1970s. There's 
thing called the Monte Carlo method, which again is a whole other page. But eventually, if you scroll down far enough, you get around to the renowned sociologist Stanley Milgram, who he was responsible for, I think, one of the best sociology experiments of all time, which was the one where he convinced just average people to believe they were shocking each other to death, which is, again, a great thing to investigate if you're into that kind of thing. It's kind of amazing because it showed that people will do what they're told to do, kind of regardless of whatever it is. And that experiment could never, ever be done again. No, it was really unethical because they told people, I mean, you know, they set them up in a separate room and they said this, you're, they, they believed that the person in the other room was also a subject randomly selected to be the, the person receiving the shocks and they just by chance were the person administering the shocks and they, they just, there was a guy in a white coat in the room saying you have to keep shocking them uh, for a memory test. That's what they said was a memory test. And people just did it. They were just, they were middle class you know, average people uh, willing to shock each other to death just because someone said. But anyway, that does not have to do with this. Like I said, it's a rabbit hole. But he and some other people with Harvard University did this, the sort of first real study about the connections between people. They never used the the term six degrees of separation, but that's the sort of where it came from. So what okay. they did, they wanted to investigate how how many people it would take to get a package from one place to another place in the country. They, they generally started the packages in um, Omaha, Nebraska, or Wichita, Kansas. And yeah, just the, the middle of the country. And they usually ask them to, if they, the target person was usually in uh, Boston. So uh, what they would do is they had this package and the package had information in it about the experiment, what they were doing. Hello, we are Harvard researchers. We are trying to figure out how many people are separated in the United States. Or by how many people we are separated mm-hmm. from each other. And we just, if you know this person, there's a per- the person's name, kind of basic uh, social media profile in there. It was like their name and their, maybe their occupation and their address. And, you know, do you know this person? And they said, you know, if you say, if you do know this person, please send the package to the person and also send us a postcard telling us that they got it. Uh, if you are the person, also please contact us. Okay. And if you don't know the person, uh, which was the much more likely situation, they said, send it to a person who is, who you, you believe, a person you know personally, like you're on a first name basis with the person who you think is more likely than you to know this person. So, and then each, at each step, they had the same, the same sort of process. So they would get a postcard from the person and say, oh yeah, I'm so-and-so and and I don't know the person, but I sent it on to this other person that I know who lives in this place. And they found that the packages that made it all the way to the target, uh, on average, uh, separated by about six people. Okay. So that's sort of where it started. Now, there were some, I know this may shock listeners uh, <laughs> of the podcast, but there may have been some problems with with this study. It may not have definitively proved anything, it turns well, out. It sounds like six degrees of separation if you're in the United States. Well, right. I mean, so that's, yeah, in the United States. But also, even if it was just the United States, there were problems. The biggest one, I think, is that they sent out 296 of these packages. So that's, they started with 296 packages that they wanted to see through to Boston. And only 64 of them actually made it to the end. 
Oh, and they just the, the other two hundred and thirty were just removed from the study. They don't. Yeah, count. they're basically like yeah. eh, they they dropped off. Classic so error. We can't count them if they didn't get there. So obviously, with that large of a number, you don't know why they stopped. Maybe they got sent to a person who just didn't care and was like, this is stupid. I'm not going to send it on. Maybe it got stuck in a place where somebody just felt helpless. I don't know. I have no idea. And so in that case, you might get a wildly different result. I mean, if you put in the rest, it could have been somebody um, or, you know, they also don't take into account who, you know, maybe, maybe somebody sent it to the wrong person. I mean, in my case, working at, you know, the place where I work now, (laughs) I don't know, you know, if I, if you had asked me, which of your friends is most likely to know somebody that works in that place? I I don't think that I could have picked people out individually. Um, The people that ended up being, you know, maybe I would have been, I would have said, oh, I suspect it will be in this circle of my life. Someone will know. But again, they were in three different circles. And, and even if I had picked the right circle, I may have picked the wrong person. Mm -hmm. Um, So, seems it matters so much who the first person is. I mean, I'm, at, I'm, I'm recording this now in Las Vegas. I'm here at a conference trying to pick out interesting, cool places to go on field trips. And at one of the seminars, they were talking about connectors, which is this social media concept of these certain people who are like the hub of wagon wheels. Right. And other people aren't nearly as connected as they are. But if the package got to one of those... It would only be a few hops. But if the package got to a three-year-old, I'm thinking their world's a little smaller. You know, that's it's interesting you should bring that up because in one of the uh, experiments, they, they redid this a couple of times, and then in one of them, they sent out 160 letters, of which 24 reached wow. their target. And in, in that experiment, um, 16 of those 24 that reached the end were given to the target person by the same man. <laughs> yeah, I think that illustrates the point of the connector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, it depends. It, there's, I mean, that's, it, what if the last person was Obama? You know, like, okay, you got the letter has to get to Obama. I, it would be very, very difficult to do this under strict observing conditions. Yes. Especially if your drop-off rate is as high as it was in those first two uh, experiments yeah, that we that, discussed. That's, that's a classic error of statistical analysis of studies is uh, the, the aberrant data points are just removed from the study. And that you really can't do that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not a good it, idea. Like, oh, we, we watered this plant with XX fertilizer and of the 10% of plants that survived, they grew much better than our control group. It doesn't really work, although I think it happens all the time. I suspect it does. So I mentioned before I'm here in Vegas, and I'm at this conference that is for travel professionals. Mm-hmm. And we're, this is like all the vendors are here trying to impress us. Like, you know, buy our products, bring your group to Spain, and go on this ship, etc. Uh-huh. For those people who don't keep up with cruising, or people who don't, who've never been on a cruise and don't think they like cruises, I have to say, things are getting a little crazy in the cruising world. Oh, crazy how so? Crazy like, well, all right, imagine a cruise. Now, Aubrey, have you ever been on a cruise? I have never been on a cruise. So, so just give me a, a basic rundown, and I don't know what your opinion of cruises are, and it doesn't matter, you can be honest, but... Just tell me what you think a week on a cruise would be like. What would it be like on the ship? Well, 
I, while I've never been on a cruise, I did read that David Foster Wallace essay about cruising, wow. which has sort of shaped my, uh, <laughs> my opinions a little bit, mm -hmm. but I, I think it would probably be, so you're in, you're in a little room, you have a little window. Um, there's a very large place where you can eat a lot of food. Uh, there are decks with various things on them, perhaps a pool, uh, chairs, maybe tennis courts if it's a bit, I don't know. I don't know too much about Okay, good. About it. Um, you said the word little twice. Yes. Which, which is very interesting. And then you use the word large next to food. Yes. And that is kind of the general perception of cruising. It's where these fat people go to eat all the time and lay around <laughs> in chairs on the pool deck. Okay. I, well, I, I did not pass you judgment did not. on. No, you I didn't. You did not. But that is what I read into your language, which is shaped <laughs> by your culture. Of course. But anyway, um, and that is... That is to some degree true, of course. That is one of the scenarios that can be on a ship. However, I have just seen demos of a bunch of new ships. The most impressive to me, which probably won't be the most impressive when I'm finished with this, is was a, was a new riverboat that is doing Europe. And so riverboats are on rivers. They're very, very long, but very, very low, so they can go under bridges. This one had really interesting cabins. Uh, cabins are typically small on riverboats because they're smaller ships. But they had this problem because people want balconies. This is a big thing in the cruise industry is the balcony is the big divide. You know, if you, if you have a balcony, you're someone. And if you don't have a balcony, you're down in steerage. Well, and you're maybe a little claustrophobic. Uh, right. Okay. <laughs> maybe. So they thought, well, here's the problem with balconies. You know, you can't really be out there all the time. The weather isn't always good. Often when on a river cruise, this was a specific problem, they are docked in places where the ship is below the dock. So your balcony mm -hmm. could be beneath a dock or up against a ship. So not actually a nice place to be. Right. So what they did was, or imagine this, imagine a cabin or any a hotel room, let's say, with a balcony. Mm -hmm. Move the wall of the hotel room out onto the balcony. So you basically brought the balcony into the room. Oh, and okay. then make the entire wall glass that slides away. Oh! So what they've got on these riverboats now is these cabins where the entire outside wall is glass, and you can slide it up against the wall so your entire cabin is a balcony when you want it to be. And when you don't, you close it up, and you've got that much more room in your cabin. It's That's, brilliant. That sounds very nice. It is brilliant. Now... That was the thing that impressed the travel agents the most, because we know about all this other stuff. So I'm going to just talk about one cruise line, and that's Royal Caribbean. They have ships now where you can do all of the following activities. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to list off a bunch of things that you can do on their ships. One of them is a lie. Okay. I want you to pick out the lie. Oh, okay. this is my favorite game. Oh, <laughs> Please. They have boxing rings. They have bumper cars. They have carousels, they have ice skating, rollerblading, rock climbing walls, they have, I don't even know how to describe this, they have a pod on an arm, and you go inside the pod, and the arm goes over the side of the ship, so you can kind of wave about above the water. They have what, indoor... Like, wait, yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 you never right. explain oh, that a little bit. Oh, all right, so, you, this, so I wait, can do this. The, like, is this like... I'm trying to. Is this like a claw that goes around yes. your stomach and it just picks no. you up? No, you're in a you're in a pod. There's like no, there's a pod. Okay, so there's like friends. a 
Oh, 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 okay. So it's big. I was imagining one person just sitting out there above the ocean. <laughs> that, now that would be fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, so fun or terrible, depending on. I'm not upon... even close to done yet. Um, okay, no, go. You please go zip ahead. Zip lines sorry. on the ship. Zip line on the ship. Um, a 30 foot high dive into a 30 foot deep pool, again, on the ship. A bar that as you're sitting at it, rises up through 13 decks from the bottom of the ship and goes up through the top of the ship, and then you're outside. Miniature golf, driving range. Uh, I know I'm missing some big things. Um, record your own music album in a booth with a professional mixer. Uh, cooking, where a chef will cook in front of you in a theater. Uh, riding bikes around the deck. Let's see, what am I missing? It just, it goes on and on. Oh, and there's, there's they have a bar on the new ship that it's called 270, and there's a wall that goes around 270 degrees, but it is all 4,000K resolution HDTV. This entire wall is like 12 feet high and 270 degrees around the room. And over the course of the night, they will bring you to the rainforest or onto a beach, and they play ambient sounds that make you seem like you're there. It's the closest thing to a holodeck that... I've ever seen. Did they? Did they have a demonstration? Did you actually go see this? It, it that ship comes out in November, so and obviously that's not the fake one because I'm giving you a lot of details. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's let's stop there. I have missed some major things that are on these ships, but which of those is actually not available on Royal Caribbean, nor is it planned to be? You know, I want to. Of course, immediately I'm like the carousel, but then that's too obvious. So. I'm thinking maybe it's one of the more mundane ones, like rollerblading. That seems kind of dangerous, going okay. rollerblading That's on a, a boat. Very close, but that one does actually exist on a whole class of ships. They have uh, inline skating on one of the upper decks. Huh. So, do I get another guess, or you is that it? Guess, sure. All right, and all right. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I'm going to guess that pod is a real thing. Did get some more is. details about that. Um... And yeah, what about the what about the um the restaurant or the bar that rises up ah, through the ship? That seems true. kind of fake. It's God, true. That's nuts. I have no idea. All right, I'll put I'm, you out of your misery. I'm all out of guesses. Riding bicycles is the only one of those that's not real. That means uh, right. That means bumper cars are yep. real. Mm-hmm. It means indoor skydiving is real. <laughs> indoor sky. I don't think you said that. Yeah, the way indoor skydiving works, um, I'm sure there's a more high-tech version, but the traditional version is they take an engine from a DC-3, which is an old, very popular propeller plane, uh, turn the propellers up, and then you jump on top of them. And because they're spinning, the air keeps you up. In fact, there's one a block from me here in Vegas. But they put that on the ship because, you know, why not? Uh, Sure. Anyway. That, that's what modern cruising is like. Modern cruising is you go on a ship and you wonder how you're going to possibly ever do anything, do everything in a week. One of the new ships that's coming out has 25 restaurants. On one ship? On one ship. 25 restaurants. And it's not just like the restaurant ship. They're not like, no, this, no, is, no. this is our and, new restaurant liner. No, that one has a Starbucks, uh, has a Ben & Jerry's. They count those. I mean, I wouldn't call them restaurants. But they have all, it's full service. And, and then they have all these kind of crazy restaurants, including one that's called Wonderland, where all the food is experimental. Like, they uh, have these, they have these, I don't even know what they are. They just showed us pictures. But it looked like eggs in a bell jar. 
And okay. When they, but the jar is filled with some kind of gas. So when they lift off the jar, this giant cloud of fog appears and rolls over your table. And there are just eggs in it? Like I, it, you, I, like, it I'm looks like eat, eggs. I don't know if I'm it's ice eat cream. The, or... the Narnia eggs? Like yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it... I, I don't know if I would want to eat that. If someone was like, here, have some eggs. There's a mysterious fog surrounding them. Right. I might be like, I'll just take the regular eggs. Thank yeah. you. So, I mean, that's what cruising is like. It is, uh, and I, I, I sell cruises for a living. I'm not trying to sell cruises. This is actually an item of curiosity. Is that how did we get to the point where there are cruise ships that are twice the size of an aircraft carrier, literally, that you can do these things on? How did we get to that point? And what, what do they, is this like a nuclear powered ship? Like how no. do they keep this thing floating and like with electricity for That's, all of that time? It's, you know, it's kind of fascinating. The, um, all, almost all ships of any size now, uh, the, which <laughs> any size now means four times the size of the Titanic, literally. They are all electric. So they have giant generators. They work the same way trains work, actually. Trains, the engine, all it does is make electricity and electricity goes to the wheels. On these, the electricity goes to these really crazy pods that are underwater that have these propellers that have like 15 blades on them, and they pull the ship through the water. They don't push it, they pull it. And the propellers are on the outside of the ship. They're not. If you think of a normal ship, your brain's like, you know, where's the propeller on a ship? It's at the back. On these, it's on the sides, in the back. And they can rotate them 360 degrees. That means this ship can rotate in its own axis, and they control it with a little tiny joystick that looks like it's from a Nintendo. The entire <laughs> ship is controlled with this joystick. Yeah. It seems almost dangerous. I mean, you like you should not, no one tiny joystick should have that much power, <laughs> is does. what I'm saying. I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of checks and balances, and they have a throttle as well as the controller. But yeah, it's um, cruising is, is a completely different thing. So uh, for for those of you who are interested in seeing some of this crazy stuff, and again, this is only one cruise line. Other cruise lines have crazier stuff. Uh, Disney Cruise Line, for their inside cabins, an inside cabin is a cabin without a window. Right. They have fake windows, and you can dial up what you want to see. And because it's Disney, like if you dial an underwater scene, Nemo will swim by every once in a while. <laughs> I mean... So anyway, if you, if you want to see some of this crazy stuff, uh, go on YouTube and Google Quantum of the Seas, which is one of the worst named ships ever in the history of ship naming. Quantum yeah, of I'm, the Seas. I'm a little bit worried Deepak Chopra might be on that ship. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Penn and Teller were doing names. advertising for it. so. <laughs> All right. Well, probably not then. And then uh, Oasis of the Seas is the other one. Um, Oasis of the Seas is the largest, well, Allure, its sister ship, is the largest ship afloat right now, not counting super tankers. I mean, bigger than anything the military has. It, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. If you've ever seen O in Las Vegas, they have a similar show on the ship. O is where they jump crazy heights into water, uh, and they do this right on the ship. Anyway, enough about this. There's crazy stuff going on on ships right now. And if you're a curious person, you owe it to yourself to look and see what the future looks like because you're living in it now. So there. Sounds good. <laughs> we will Welcome call to the that future. In. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> so I've got a story uh, that crept up into my field of vision uh, the other day. It is a gallery of vintage chemistry sets on wired.com. So these are like the old school. These are the chemistry sets that you could like blow up your house with in the thirties. Um, I, and I, I, am, I had one, but I'm just old enough or just young enough. I guess that mine was fair. You could poison yourself pretty easily, but it was hard to blow something up. Cause I tried. 
That is a real shame. Uh, <laughs> so do you know, I mean, I, I suspect you probably know something about the history of chemistry sets. Um, I know that they were popular, you know, in the early 20th century and that some of them contained at all. It was, I mean, I know there was a uh, radioactive set, like the, the radiation chemistry set or something where you build your own nuclear reactor or whatever. Uh, and I know they often had cyanide, but uh, you saw wholesome, something new. Wholesome cyanide. Wholesome um, cyanide. <laughs> right. It's an apple well, the, I mean, yeah, the Wired story was basically, a, it was a quick history of, the, you know, in the early part of the 20th century, there was this big push for public science, and it was like, oh, nuclear energy is going to be the way of the future. And That's right. uh, it, it was, um, science was a, it was sort of a more prestigious thing than it is now in our society. Uh, it, it was like, uh, if you're a little kid, like, of course you want to grow up to be a scientist. Well, I mean, if you're a boy child, of course, right. you know, if you're oh, a yeah. girl, Women don't do you can forget about it. So sorry. That Madame Curie, um, she was just a little weird. You can maybe be a teacher, maybe, but probably they'll just have a bunch of kids. Yeah, they, they put out these chemistry sets with things that would never be allowed to be in the hands of even adults in the general public <laughs> now. And they just gave them to children. And so what I was wondering is, I would actually like your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. uh, do you believe that a curious endeavor such as, and I mean, of course, the world is basically one giant chemistry set because everything, right. as we all know, is made of chemicals. I but, hear Tim Minchin's voice every time I hear that. <laughs> but I mean... These are really for real serious chemicals. And so what I was wondering is, do you think a curious endeavor like chemistry should ever be completely safe? Oh, um, I have a whole big, I don't even know what it's going to become yet, but a whole big thing about the risks of curiosity. Because curiosity is never safe. Learning is never safe. Anytime you introduce new knowledge, you are putting yourself at risk. And in this case, I, well, oh, and so... Arm. I'll skip the entire essay and just say that my conclusion is that if you're not going to be curious and not take risks, why are you bothering to be alive? Well, life does usually end uh, the same way for everybody. So, you know, yeah. you might as well take a risk every so often. Well, and that's how I feel. Now, there are reasonable risks and unreasonable risks. You know, um, you're not going to give your three-year-old a box of razor blades to play with. Uh, he would oh. learn something. <laughs> Um, or uh, a vial of arsenic, for instance. Yeah, arsenic or, you know, and arsenic is, at least if you ingest arsenic, you have some hope of recovering because you can actually do something about that. Right. Uh, cyanide, which was in some of these chemistry sets, no, you're just gone. You're just gone. <laughs> so, so that's my take. Um, I, think, I think we are way overprotective right now. And, and all the, the new studies coming out about uh, how asthma may be caused by us having being too clean kind of bear that out. But that's my stance. We're too protective now, but that doesn't mean I don't think we should just be totally unprotective. It does seem like there should be a happy middle ground between the very dangerous chemistry set of the early 20th century and the incredibly much less so dangerous chemistry sets that are available now. Have you seen the one that's, that's uh, you know, chemistry set? for kids and then on the little print it says contains no chemicals which is of course not true <laughs> either yeah. uh it is it's, it's made out of, of food right it's i i don't even remember what's in that yeah. one but of course it's wrong because right. ev as we've already established everything is chemicals so of course there are chemicals in it but what they mean is there's no there's no cyanide i think yeah i mean it's kind of a 
a funny thing. I, I, and I, I do curiosity now. I'm really not trying to be controversial. But chemophobia is a real thing, and it's a very interesting thing. And people are afraid of the word chemicals, and that just shows how ridiculous that is when a chemistry set, it's a chemistry <laughs> set, contains no chemicals. Actually, that would, they'd win a Nobel Prize if they could present a box of no chemicals. Yeah, that would be difficult. I mean, you, well, you could, I, I suppose if there was a, if you create a vacuum, maybe there would be, you know. A perfect vacuum. Yeah. Maybe. That that doesn't even exist in space. I don't know. Has <laughs> created a perfect vacuum? Uh, you oh. know, I don't know. We get pretty close, though. Yeah, we I do. mean, in that way where we can almost go as fast as light, but not really. Oh, of course, when I Google perfect vacuum. What <laughs> up? The, Vacuums the, for the floor? Rugs? Exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and, I, and no, we have not invented the perfect one of those yet. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm looking at some of these sets and uh, some of these old ones, and well, the nuclear one is really interesting. Um, it you you made a cloud chamber, and I, I saw a cloud chamber at I was oh, okay. at the Exploratorium in San Francisco, and they had a cloud chamber, and I'd never seen one before. But you, when you watch it, every once in a while, you see this streak go through it, like it's like a screaming duck flies through the clouds, and it's a gamma particle from outer space. This thing detects them, and one of these chemistry sets reproduced that, except it had a little bit of some radioactive element. That would also emit gamma particles. Huh. And, I think and it makes a big cool. loud noise when it goes through? No, no, there's no noise. It's just uh, you can see in the cloud that the clouds part to let something go through. Oh, cool. And uh, it's something absolutely infinitesimal, but it has enough mass and, and it actually parts it. And I think that's a cool thing. And, and uh, radiation is one of these things that we are deathly afraid of for no good reason. I mean, obviously, yes, we want to be afraid of some types of radiation, but we have gone way, way too far the other direction. I think this kit could actually, maybe maybe you don't give it to the kid, but maybe you, you lead a science class with it because you, some kid could eat the uranium or whatever it is. Well, I mean, a high school kid could eat the uranium too. Yeah, just to see. Would. I feel like you the permission slips you'd have to get would be pretty crazy, unless you did it in public school and then no one would care. Yeah, but then they. Uh, and, and I mean by that that public school kids, as I was one uh, when I was growing up, uh, they're a hardier bunch, and uh, <laughs> their parents are maybe a little more likely to let them take calculated and intelligent risks. Well, that's true. Although I was a public school kid until high school, I went to a prep school. We got to dissect everything. <laughs> we cut open cats and pigs and sharks oh, and oh. everything. And then a subset of the class got to cut up a person. What? Yes, in high school. A human person? A human person who was dead and had given their permission to be cut up by high school kids after their death. And I thought to myself, this is something the public school kids do not get to do legally. <laughs> and again, I, I graduated from high school in 84. Things have changed now. But I do. I agree with your basic premise. We are too protective. And I don't know what to do about it because it, there'd be such a huge outcry if anyone ever found out that you weren't completely protective. You know, like the stranger danger thing. Mm -hmm. um, statistically, there is no chance your child is going to be abducted by a stranger. Now, statistically speaking, to, to any significant level, the number of stranger abductions is so much less than the number of kids who drowned in their bathtub. Right. But that's the thing everyone's afraid of. Don't talk to strangers. Go to strangers. We've come back to statistics. 
Well, full circle. It, isn't that funny how it always works down to statistics? It, it, but it does. We, we're very interesting creatures, us humans, because we have our tendencies, and yet we have the ability to understand that our tendencies are not based in reality. But we still have them. Oh, so, yeah, and there's nothing. I mean, there's no quicker way to make a person just completely cling to their irrational belief or behavior than by pointing out that it is not rational. <laughs> if you say, so what you're, never, never say this, podcast listeners. Do not ever say to a person, you're acting crazy. It will not help you. Well, nope. first of all, it may endanger you. And secondly, <laughs> it's not going to change whatever. Whoever is being crazy probably kind of knows it but they're not going to stop just because you pointed it out. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I, studies have bared, bared this out that if you tell, first off, if you're mean to somebody, you've shut down all communication and that's all there is to it. Right. Uh, the other thing though, is if you inform them correctly, they will believe what they believe before harder <laughs> to counteract your new, fresh, accurate knowledge. Oh, it's so sad. And so my, my metaphor for dealing with, with things like this is when, when there's a herd of cattle coming at you and you need to steer the herd away from the cliff, you don't meet them head on. You go behind them and come up to the side and gradually steer them away. And I think that's kind of how you have to be with people. You have to be able to demonstrate that you understand where they're coming from before you can make any progress at all. And then you may not even make any progress. People are easily spooked, is what you're saying? <laughs> I hadn't made that metaphor, but it fits, and I'll keep it. <laughs> it's a gift. It is. Thank you. Thank you very much. Aubrey and I actually continue talking for another full hour, but we're going to save some of that content for future episodes. In the meantime, check us out at collegeofcuriosity.com or freakshowtell.com. To find out more about the WIP Theater, that's W-I-P, visit whiptheater.com. And to learn more about Aubrey Henretti's side project, Word Monster, visit wordmonster.org. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week.